Our scripture reading this morning is from Numbers 13, verses 26 through 31. And this is found on page 121 in your pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home um, as a gift from us. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back the word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. This is the word of the Lord. Those last words that we heard read have been the ones that have kind of echoed with me throughout this week as I've looked at this passage. For they are stronger than we are. They are stronger than we are. And I've been in one of those seasons lately. One of those seasons where every day just seems like an effort, right? Where every, every one of the Days you start off and you think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some progress today. And, and by the end of the day, you, you feel further behind than when you started. Every day seems like a challenge. And part of it is that it's, it's been a, a more demanding season at work. It's true. Uh, part of it, I think a big part of it, is that we have a, a two-month-old baby and two other children under five. So sleep has not been in abundance lately. I also think part of it, without being overly supernatural or weird, has been some real spiritual opposition. But, but regardless, it all adds up, it has added up in my life to this persistent feeling that they, my problems, my day, whatever, they are stronger than me, than we are. And, and I know many of you are there too. Whether it's a, a renewed cancer diagnosis, a, a marriage that is crumbling, an addiction that you're battling, joblessness, or, or maybe feeling stressed at school or feeling like I, I just can't get up and go to that same job again today, struggles in parenting, infertility, loneliness. Now, I know not all of you this morning are in one of those seasons. Some of you, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm in a good spot in my life, and I'm so glad for that. And yet, all of us, whether we're Christians or not, have, or I think, or will at some point be confronted with the feeling, even the reality, that they are stronger than we are. And we don't just face these moments as individuals, do we? I mean, sometimes it's uh, your whole family is going through a season of that. I, I know ours is. Uh, or maybe it's your, your company is in one of those seasons. Or, or your team at school, they are stronger than we are. 
Uh, and, and if you were with us last week, you, you heard that we as a church are in one of those seasons, one of those moments. As, as one church with five locations around our city uh, on, on a mission to be a caring family of, of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ, that we are at a crossroads. That two of our campuses, Shawnee Mission and our downtown campus, they, they don't have adequate homes. They don't have adequate buildings to facilitate our mission. And, and while we know, obviously, church is so much more than a building, we recognize the incredible tool that, that the right facility is, right? We've experienced that here in Brookside in this place. And we have two properties in our sites uh, that are available for purchase. And believing that every church family needs a home, we are looking at those, pursuing those. But it's scary because we don't know how we're going to do it. Uh, and so we're taking these three weeks to remind us what faith is and to encourage us in bold faith, both individually and together as a, as a church. And whether it's individually or collectively, every one of us, in every moment, in every season, when we look around and feel that they are stronger than we are, we have a choice. Every one of those moments is an opportunity, either for bold faith or for toxic fear. Every, every giant that we face, every obstacle that we face is, an, face is either an opportunity for bold faith or for toxic fear. And what I'm encouraged by, though, is this, that we are not the first people to face this kind of moment, to come to this kind of a crossroads. The scriptures are full of these moments, accounts of when God's people have been in these places. And right now we're looking at one of those moments in the book of Numbers when the people of God who've been brought out of Egypt are poised on the edge of the promised land. So I encourage you to grab a Bible from the pew rack in front of you or pull it up on your phone and, and look at Numbers chapter 13. Numbers is the fourth book in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And as we do that, let me uh, pray for us as we turn there this morning. Father in heaven, we are thankful to you this morning. I'm thankful to you this morning that you've allowed these moments in our lives. Because there's oppor there are opportunities to trust you. And this morning as we look at this account in the book of Numbers which the Apostle Paul tells us was written down for our instruction. Would we learn what you would desire to teach us this morning? How you would desire to instruct us? We pray this in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week we, we watched as the Israelites, they uh, had left Egypt. They are poised on the edge of the promised land. The promised land that, that they had longed for for 400 years. For 400 years. Think about that. If you, 400 years ago from, from 2018, that was when Jamestown was being started. It's a long time. 400 years enslaved in Egypt, knowing nothing but slavery, nothing but oppression. But God had moved at last. Uh, he had set them free. The plagues, the Passover, the flight from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. And they are finally 
here at the edge of the promised land, returning to the land of their fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, the land where they had lived, that they had been forced to flee by famine for so many hundreds of years ago, and now they're finally coming back to that land. And God tells Moses, send out 12 scouts into the land. Send 12 spies to see what it's like. Report back. Tell us what you learn. And we heard their report read. It was our, our scripture reading for this morning. And, and as we look at the story more closely, we learn three things, at least. And one is that bold faith sees reality as it really is. Uh, second, we're going to see that toxic fear distorts what's really real. And third, that bold faith takes a big God. So first, bold faith sees reality as it really is. Right? In, in faith, we believe what God says, and, and we demonstrate our trust in what He said by obeying Him, by following Him. In faith, we rest in Him. In faith, we receive from Him. In faith, we follow Him. And, and for the Christian, we, we talked about this last week, for the Christian, faith is not our last resort. It's not the, the place that we turn to when we've tried all of our other options and exhausted them, and then, then we sort of lean on faith. No, for the Christian, faith is or faith ought to be our primary way of seeing reality. And don't miss this. It's in verses 27 and 28. You see, all 12 of the spies, they bring back the same report. They bring back the same data, the same information. Uh, look beginning in the second half of verse 26. They bring back the same data. The difference is their response to it. They brought back the word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we can't, this is, again, this is all 12 of them affirm this. We came into the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, we're going to learn later in the text that the descendants of Anak were, they were, just, they were tall people. It would be like saying we saw the descendants of the Dutch there, or the descendants of the Sudanese. This is a, we saw tall people there. All 12 people agree. And these are the facts. Yes, the land is fantastic, and, and yes, it's heavily fortified. It's what happens next that reveals the difference between bold faith on the one hand and toxic fear on the other. Verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Caleb and Joshua are at a crossroads. But they see through the eyes of bold faith. The other ten are with them at that same crossroads, but they are overcome by toxic fear. Both groups testified to the same reality. Both groups are saying, yes, great land, great fortifications. But one says, we are able. And the other says, 
we're not able. What's the difference? The difference is who they include in the we. Right, for the ten who say we are not able, their we just includes them. We're not able in our own strength, in our own ability. We are not able. And they're, they're right about that. But for Caleb and Joshua who say we are able, their we includes the God of the universe. Yahweh, who spoke and billions of galaxies full of billions of stars popped into existence. Yahweh, who preserved his people by bringing them to Egypt when there was a famine. God, who brought them out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who brought them to the edge of the Promised Land. The all-powerful God of the universe. With him, we are able. And you see this in Numbers 14.9. Caleb is pleading with the people, only don't rebel against the Lord. The Lord is with us, he says. Do not fear them. For Caleb and Joshua, there we included the God of the universe. If your we only includes us, then they, your problems, the issues, your whatever they, they will always look stronger. They will always be stronger than you are. But as Christians, our we, it never just includes us. Our we always includes Yahweh, the Creator God, the Redeemer, the one who is strong to save. God is with you at your job. He's, he's with you in your marriage. He's with you through your difficult health problems. God is with you as you raise your children. He is with you when you face whatever it is that you're facing. Right? And here's the thing. When we see with the eyes of bold faith, we see reality for what it is, really is, and that is that God is with us. In fact, the eyes of bold faith are the only way to see reality as it truly is. The only way to see that God is with us. Right, because here's the thing, everyone is afraid. Right? That's, and in a world like ours, it's, it's not wrong to be afraid. Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means acknowledging your fear and moving forward anyway in bold faith because you know that God is with you. That He is always, He's always a part of our we. You see, knowing who is with you dramatically changes what you see before you. That's what it boils down to with these spies. Knowing who is, is with you dramatically sees how you see what it is before you. Faith, friends, faith is not our last resort. It is our primary way of seeing reality. And the truest part of that reality is that God is with us. At the crossroads, Joshua and Caleb, they move forward. They choose bold faith. The other ten, they give in to toxic fear. And if bold faith sees reality as it really is, toxic fear always distorts what's really real. 
Toxic faith distorts what's really real. And when that happens, reality gets distorted in at least three ways that we see here in the text. The first is this. Reality gets distorted, and in that moment, the giants look bigger. When toxic faith takes over, or toxic fear takes over, the giants, they look bigger. Listen to verses 33, 32 and 33 here in chapter 13. And so this is the other ten. They continue on. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, sons of Anak who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. They're saying, this place is going to destroy, it's going to devour us. These people are super tall. And not only that, they're the Nephilim. Anyway, say, who are the Nephilim? Why, why, why are they saying that? Well, the Nephilim only come up one other time, uh, really, in the Old Testament, back in Genesis chapter 6. And even there, it's kind of fuzzy as to who exactly they are, but they seem to be kind of uh, a, a group of sort of superhuman, super kind of warriors, and scholars point out that, that given the exaggerated tone of the spies of this account, their, their reference to the Nephilim is, is most likely an expression of their fear. It's an exaggeration of what's really there, an excuse for their disobedience. In reality, yes, those who inhabited the land were probably a little taller than average, but they were not some race of superhuman warriors. And reading this, this text this week and getting to this point, it reminded me of that moment in, in Monsters, Inc. You remember that film from <laughs> Right, you see, I mean, you know the story of Monsters, Inc. It's just this tiny little baby. And they're, they're so terrified of it that it, in their mind, it's picking them up with its laser beams. And it's, right, that, how often do we live our lives in those places? When toxic fear begins to take over, where it distorts our view of what's really real. But here's the thing. Toxic fear, it doesn't just distort present reality. It doesn't just make us forget God. It doesn't just make us seem like grasshoppers. It doesn't just restore the, the, distort the present. Toxic fear, it also distorts past reality. And when that happens, the familiar starts to look better. The familiar starts to look better. You see, they decide that it would be better to go back to be slaves in Egypt than to go into the land. They want to go back to the place that they had been pleading with God for so long, deliver us from this place. They decide, we'd rather go back there. Why? Because the fear has distorted the past. It's like they forget all the bad stuff about Egypt. Toxic fear is a way of doing that. It doesn't just distort the present, it also distorts what we remember from the past. Listen to the heartbreaking words of Numbers 14 verses 3 and 4. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Right? Their, their toxic fear causes them to misremember Egypt. Egypt looked better than the promise. And don't miss this either, because it's so key in the text, that toxic fear, it also causes profound disunity. 
right? They want it, they're done with Moses. They want to choose another leader and go back. But that's not all. One more thing happens here when toxic fear begins to take over. And that is that the status quo begins to look easier. The status quo, it, it starts looking easier. Because here in this moment, God is offering them a land of abundance like they have never seen. It is what they have asked for. It's what they've longed for. They are finally here. Milk and honey, clusters of grapes so large it, it takes a pole to carry them. Is it going to be hard work? Yes. Is it going to require bold faith? Yes. But they won't be doing it alone. God has promised, I will be with you. But when we're caught in the grip of toxic fear, all of a sudden the status quo looks easier than the hard work of something better. The status quo looks easier than the hard work that will bring something better. Uh, but, it, but it's not easy. It's not easier. It may seem easier for a minute, but in the end it is not easier to stay in that place. God is calling us forward into something better. Listen to the sobering words from God to the people in chapter 14, verse 31, 32. This is God speaking to Israel. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and you shall, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies shall fall in this wilderness. By choosing the status quo, they have chosen to dig graves rather than to eat grapes. They've chosen to dig graves in the wilderness than eat grapes in the land. And then this moment in the Scriptures, in Numbers, becomes the case study for ultimate failure and faithfulness. It's why Paul in 1 Corinthians refers back to this moment and says these things were written down for our instruction. It is the case study. And the results are heartbreaking because God gives them what they want. Which can be one of the scariest things that can ever happen to us. Is God giving us what we want. I'm so thankful for many times in hindsight when I realized God protected me by not giving me what I thought I wanted. They said they'd rather go back to Egypt. They say they don't want to go into the land. And so God gives them what they want. And they're going to spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness experiencing everything that Egypt had represented to them in reality, which was death. And here's what's so heartbreaking, because if you read on, I'd encourage you to read Numbers 14, if you read on to the very end of the chapter, they, they realize their mistake, they realize that they've blown it. It's almost like that moment as a parent when you're with your child and you say, okay, if you, you're not going to be able to watch the show. If you don't pick up, you're not going to be able to watch the show. And then you finally say, okay, the show's gone. They're like, okay, I'll go pick up. It's like the Israelites have that moment, but it's too late. But they try to do it on their own, friends. They actually do try to go into the land, and it is an utter disaster. Moses says, don't do it. It's too late. God is not with you. Don't try this. And they do, and they're just utterly defeated. 
Why? Because the, the, the Lord is not with them. They rejected God's presence. And so he takes it away from them. Oh, Christ community, brothers and sisters in Christ, would we learn from their example? Would that not be us individually in our lives of journeying and faith? And would that not be us collectively as a church? Because what about us at Christ community today? You know, and again, let's just be clear here. We, this is, we're not Israel, you know, buying these two properties. That's not somehow the promised land that God's guaranteed to us. But we do think it's a moment for bold faith. We want to learn from Israel. And what we said last week is we believe God is calling us to step out here. But again, the, the, the giants are big. How can we possibly move forward? Two, two campuses without adequate homes. And, and, and we haven't even finished paying off yet the Olathe expansion. And we're a growing church. We're an incredibly generous church. And yet, these are still very big, real obstacles in front of us. The giants are big. The familiar looks enticing. The status quo is tempting. But the opportunity is now. And I want Gabe, our downtown campus pastor, to tell you a little bit more about that. So watch. It was two years ago. We were at this exciting time. The, the, the space was packed again and again, and people were leaning up against the back wall. And as exciting as one particular Sunday was, I heard some really discouraging news from one of our leaders who was greeting at the front door. They came up to me and said, a guest came in and said, wow, this is exciting, this is full. And they looked around, they couldn't find a seat, and then they said, I'll be back next week. The sad part to that story that's so discouraging to me is that as far as our leaders know, as far as I know, they never came back. We as a church long to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and our world for Jesus Christ. And as great as our downtown campus space has been for us, the problem is, is that we need more space to accomplish our mission, to accomplish our mission for the people who are currently here and the people we haven't even met yet. If you were to walk into our space, let me just paint a quick picture for you. You would find chairs in nearly every conceivable space we have and probably spaces we shouldn't have them. <laughs> and if you want to talk to somebody after the service, you're going to have to scoot a little bit quicker because our one-room schoolhouse, although it was great for a season, doesn't have space for a lobby, hallways, or any sort of connection outside of the Sunday morning worship gathering. And if you were to come here with your children, where do your little preschoolers and your elementary kids, this growing demographic downtown because of wonderful infrastructure that's being built up, where do they go? Well, they would meet some phenomenal volunteers at the back of our building. Phenomenal volunteers. And they would say, your kids are marvelous. You're gonna have to trust me because I'm gonna take them out the back door down an alleyway to another building downtown while you stay here. Now imagine you're visiting parents, and this is your first Sunday to a church, and you're really not sure about church or Jesus, and somebody says they're going to take your kids to another building downtown. That's our reality as a campus. And I think if our campus is to continue to grow, our downtown campus is to continue to grow, we need more space, a more permanent home. And over the past 18 months, we've been looking for different opportunities. We've 
kind of scoured high and low and tried to stay within the neighborhood of impact. And if you've been downtown, you've seen construction everywhere. There's revitalization, which means the opportunities continue to decrease while our need continues to increase. As a pastoral staff across campuses and with the affirmation of our elder board, we know that the need is great and the need is now. And we really believe that the time is now to move forward. And if we do, oh, we'll have the opportunity to accomplish our mission in a more robust way, such that every guest who walks in the door will feel welcomed in the essence and the reminiscence of Jesus himself. And our children will be valued the way they deserve to be valued and having space for them and this caring family and in our home, not only now, but for generations to come. Thanks so much. The one line that Gabe says in there that grabs me is that it's for the people who we haven't even met yet. Who, who haven't even met yet. And I, and I wonder, just even in this room, how many of you were those that we hadn't met yet before this space in Brookside opened? I know that's so many of your stories, that you were those that, that we as a church hadn't met yet. And now we have this, this facility here, and, and you're a part of us. And we, we want to have that for, for Shawnee Mission and for downtown, for those we haven't met yet, for generations, as Gabe says, to come. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a church that continually stretches my own faith in this, that refuses the familiar because we believe that Jesus is better. Because, uh, no mistaking, the, the cost to move forward here is high. There's no question about that. But... But we believe that the cost of not moving forward is so much higher. Uh, certainly for Shawnee Mission and for downtown, but also for all of us, right? And, and what we believe that God could accomplish in our city through His church. So, so what kind of church do you want to be a part of ultimately? One, one that just provides a really great services, and, I, and I'm not minimizing that. I, I, hope we, I hope we provide some decent services and programs and classes and those kinds of things. But, but do you want to be about more than that? Do you want to be a part of a church that is constantly giving itself away for those who aren't here yet? For those who aren't here yet in, John, in, 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 in downtown, in Shawnee Mission. And here's the thing, if, if we're going to choose bold faith, if we're not going to give in to toxic fear, the, the only way that happens is if we have a big God. And the good news is we do. We have a really big God, don't we? But so often we don't see him for how big and glorious he actually is. And so as we close here, I want to suggest three sort of quick things to help us to see God bigger, to see him for who he truly is and all of his power and glory. And the first one is this. The first thing we need to do is we need to get smaller. If we want to see God and his greatness, we actually need to get smaller. Because the reason so often I think we feel that, that, that they are stronger than we is that we believe that, that if I can't do it, then God can't do it. How often do we, is that how we actually live our lives? I know for me, 
It's like, gosh, I can't figure a way out of this. I can't see how we're going to do this, whether, you know, as, as a church or something that's going on in our family. I don't know what the solution is. And so there must, it's just, I don't know. There must not, not be one. Do you know how, how prideful and arrogant that actually is? It actually sort of equates, well, if, if me as a little human who lives on this earth for a little tiny stretch of maybe 80, 90 years at best, can't figure it out, then it must not be able to be done. We have to get smaller in order for us to see God's greatness. We can't do it. That's right. That's good. Grab onto that. But God can. He can. So get smaller. Second, we need to look wider get smaller and look wider. Are we? Yes, it includes God, but it but also includes God's people. And when my faith is weak, someone else is strong. Uh, when I can't do it, someone else can help. And that's why I'm so encouraged in, in this moment, because this plan to purchase two buildings, we're, we're not alone. It's not just us at Brookside. It's like, we got to just figure it out here. There's five campuses right now. Five other campuses of Christ community in this moment, praying, longing, asking, expecting from God, committed to one another. And that gives me such joy, such hope. That when we look wider, we actually begin to see what God is doing, not, not only in our campus or even in our little church in this moment, but across our city, across the world, God is at work. Look wider, see how he's at work, and you'll begin to get a bigger vision of who he is. And then third, pray bigger. Pray bigger. I began this morning by talking about how it's just been one of those seasons in life for, for me where I just felt overwhelmed at times. We were on a staff retreat this, this week, just a quick overnight, and I just was sharing, we were praying with one another. I was like, guys, I've just been in this one of those moments where I just I feel like I'm letting everyone down in my life. Where there, I just don't seem like I can possibly be enough for the demands of the day. But I've gotten to the point by the end of this week, you know what? I'm grateful for that. I really am. Because it's pushed me into a deeper dependence uh, on God in prayer. Like when things are pretty easy, it's kind of easy to be like, I don't need to pray that long today. I got it. Man, this has not been a season where I've been able to say, like, I've got to get to, to praying every single morning to start off the day because I, I cannot do it today. I don't even know what to prioritize, how to, where to make the choices. I, I believe that God has mercifully led me to the end of my rope so that in prayer I can start holding on to his. Maybe he's doing that for you too. I, I think he's doing that for us as a church. And I have hope because we do serve a really big God. And the Lord is near. And He is our we. He is with us. And when we see Him rightly, we see reality as it really is under His loving authority, under the rule. He is the King, I tell you. And He is reigning. He is not weak. He is not slow. He is strong to save. And he is with us and he forgives us even when we fall, even when we fail, even when we don't have faith. And this is why I just continue to cling to him. 
because he, he, he forgives me even when I don't trust him. Even when I fail, even when my doubts and my worries get, get the worst of me. Right? Because in Numbers 14.9, you know, as, as hard as a moment as this chapter is, there's this glimmer of forgiveness. Because God's about to just say, I'm done with these people completely. And Moses says, no, 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 wait, please, God, don't. Listen to, to 19 and 20. Moses intercedes for the people and he says this, In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. They've kind of been crummy the whole time. And you have forgiven them. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. And you know what? This applies to us in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the true and better Moses who intercedes for us constantly before the Father who has made the sacrifice to forgive all of our sins of doubt and unbelief. That is the Jesus, the King that we pray to who we ask expectantly of. This is the big God who goes before us, who stands beside us, and who lives within us. The question for us is, will we trust him? Let's trust him together, okay? Move forward in bold faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am. I'm thankful that you bring us to these places where we come to the end of our rope. Because then we see a much stronger, a much better, a much more sufficient rope to take hold of in Jesus. So I pray that as you've brought us to these moments individually, as you've brought us to this moment as a church, that we would exercise bold faith, no matter what the outcome, no matter what you end up doing, would we trust you and trust you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.